try to put the two together, it often becomes messy. But it's exactly what Jesus did in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We read that Jesus came full of both. And so that should always be our pursuit, even though we'll never arrive there. Some of you today will need to move more in the area of grace. Because you've been holding on to some truth for so long, and it has tones of condemnation and judgment that surround it because you haven't been extending grace the way that Jesus would himself and does himself. Some of you need to move more towards truth because you've been extending so much grace and it's been in your life that you haven't been holding on to the truths of God. But here's what I do know, no matter what, all of us, all of us need to move in one direction or the other. The one thing that I'm going to come back to today is this. Choosing to follow Jesus means giving up my personal opinions so that I can submit to a higher authority. So here's what I want to do to kind of get this conversation started. I think it would be wise of me to share with you my own personal experiences because homosexuality is not just an issue that we need to talk about in church, right? Homosexuality refers to people that we love. And if it refers to people that we love, I mean, we all have experiences in here, right? You have your experiences, I have mine. Let me share just a few of mine with you. When I was in middle school, my brother came home one day. He was a junior or senior in high school, can't remember exactly. And he came home one day and he said, um, Mom, can, can we let, and I'll call the kid's name Josh, can we let Josh come live with us? And my mom's like, you know, what's going on? And he said, well, he's gay. And his parents found out that he was gay and they've kicked him out of the house. He has nowhere to go. He's still in high school. And so I grew up in a Southern Baptist home. And so we held to the truth and held to the conviction that homosexuality was wrong. And, but we never allowed that to trump love in our lives. And so we invited this young man to come and live with us for about six to nine months. In that period, as a young man, you know, just being in middle school, 13 years old, whatever it was, I got a front row seat to hear and observe and talk to somebody and what it feels like when you come out with this really, you know, this hidden secret. And even the people that you feel like were supposed to be there for you and love you completely condemn you and alienate you and set you aside as if you were never a part of the family. And that changed me. Fast forward several years, and I'm a personal trainer at a large health club in Lexington, Kentucky called Gold's Gym. And I was still in the middle of getting my bachelor's degree in exercise science. And I'm training, and my boss comes to me, and he says, Aaron, I got a couple clients and I would be curious to know if you'd be willing to train them. And I'm just kind of wondering, it's like, why is he approaching it this way? And he says, it's a gay couple, two men, and they would like you to train them. Would you be willing to do that? And again, just being transparent with you this morning, it's a little weird. It's a little weird for me just to think about that. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'd love to. And I didn't train them both at the same time. I worked out uh, different times of the day. And uh, over the course of a couple years, some of you know this, there was a pivotal moment that happened in my life around the age of 22, which is within this two-year time frame. I worked with these guys for two years. Within this two-year time frame, I became very passionate about my faith. Before that, I was kind of a lukewarm Christian and became very passionate about my faith. And anybody that was around me for any amount of time, like they observed that because I, lived, I was living out my faith. I was becoming more passionate about who Jesus wanted me to be. And I remember the day that Michael was one of the gentleman's names, in the, that was a part of the couple, and he said, Aaron, uh, just curious, how do you feel about, how do you feel about sex, same-sex relationships? I'm like, oh man, here it is, you know, here's that moment where I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose a friendship, 
because I, I got to hold in my convictions here. I've got to talk about how I feel. And I said, Michael, I believe in the inspired word of God. I believe in the scriptures. I believe that is that was not within God's design of a relationship, a sexual relationship. And I said, but it doesn't change the way that I feel about you, Michael. I value you. I love you. You're my friend. And, and I'm thinking, man, here it is. He's going to go tell his partner and, you know, this this relationship's over. Something very different happened. A couple weeks later, Michael came to one of our workout sessions, and he handed me this. This is the first Bible that anybody ever gave to me. And what I want us to leave with in this particular setting and story, he knew this book taught against his lifestyle. But he loved me enough and valued our friendship enough to say, you matter more than that to me. He set aside our differences for the sake of love. Fast forward a few more years. You're going to have to bear with me this morning. It's been heavy. A few more years, and I'm now the owner of a health club. And I uh, did so with a couple friends. We started a health club together. And, you know, when you open up a health club, everybody comes. You don't choose who comes. And so we had atheists and agnostics and people really far from God. And we had people who identified as LGBTQ. And I got to know these people really well. And they asked me to help them. Of course, that's my job with the nutrition and things. And here's what God taught me that. Don't miss this. God was teaching me how to love people far from him that were often alienated and set aside by the Christian community. And I got to spend time with people that now as a pastor, kind of having that pastor hat on, people won't even give me the time of day just because of the title. But he was giving me a course in love. I've got a master's degree in biblical studies, but it didn't teach me anything that that time period taught me. How to love people that were different than me, that that didn't believe the same things that I believed. But also how not to compromise my convictions in the process. And so God was teaching me so much in that setting. And I look back at that as probably one of the most educational periods of my life. And I still go back to it often as how I want to lead this church. Fast forward a few more years, and now I'm in full-time ministry, and I'm down in Arizona. And I get a call, and I'm pastoring a church down there, and I get a call one day from a member in our church. And they said, hey, uh, a family member of ours who doesn't come to the church I was at, uh, is just got diagnosed with the worst form of meningitis, and uh, he's in a coma. Will you come up and pray over him? And I said, sure. So I came up, and he looked in bad shape. I can't remember the exact type of meningitis. It's the worst form you can get. And so uh, nobody really thought he was going to make it through it, but I prayed over him. And to everybody's surprise, he came through the coma. And they called me again and said, hey, he's, he came through the coma. Will you come up and actually spend some more time with him? Will you pray with him? But one thing you need to know, Aaron, uh, and Chris, he's given me permission to share this story several times. Chris is gay. He's in his 20s. And there's some people in our family who have been telling Chris that God caused this to happen to him because he's a faggot. And so I... Re- <clears throat> in the process of that meningitis, he lost both of his feet and all of his fingers. And I remember holding what was left of his hand. And while there were other family members in the room, it was kind of an awkward situation. Some of the family members who maybe have said some of those things. I talked to Chris about the love of God. Probably the first time he'd ever heard it. 
Fast forward a few more years, and I'm pastoring a church in Colorado Springs. And God has allowed my paths, my path to cross with the path of another gentleman who identifies as a gay man. I've been spending time with him for the last year. And we have talked a whole lot together. We've spent a lot of time together. We've laughed together, cried together. He's cussed me out. He's tried to leave this church several times. I won't let him. And he's teaching me a lot of things. I'm just asking a lot of questions and also pointing him in the direction of Jesus. Regardless of what our personal experiences have been, there's a few questions that we need to ask if we truly are trying to follow Jesus. I mean, if that's our plan, if it's not your plan, then there's going to be very little that I say today that you'll identify with. But if we're, you're here today, which I would assume you're here today, because you, you know there's a bigger purpose for your life and that Jesus has called us to a higher level of living. And if our eyes are on him, what he's trying to do is call, you, call your attention away from the culture so that your eyes can be fixed on Christ. Because if your eyes aren't fixed on Christ, hear me, the culture will carry you away. Let me say it one more time. If your eyes are not fixed on Christ, this culture will carry you away. And so there's a few questions that I think we need to ask ourselves this morning if this really is about Jesus and not just our own personal opinions. And there are these three questions. What does God say about homosexuality? And number two, is being gay a sin? And then the third one would be like, now what? How do I represent both truth and grace to my son or daughter who's gay? I had a lady come up to me this morning. I've had several people come up and talk to me. My son is a homosexual man. He's married to another man, and we've accepted him. We love him. We just we don't know how to do this whole truth and grace thing, and I get it. I don't have all the answers either, I promise. We're trying to figure this out because Jesus said he was full of both. We need to be in the pursuit of both. And so here's what I want to do. I want to kind of preface our time together by reading one particular passage. And the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And in this particular passage, he's talking about how we're supposed to deal with people inside the church, people who would call themselves Christians versus people outside the church. I think this is really important. But I also want to tell you today, if you don't look to truth, like, let me back up and say that differently. Where do you look for truth? I mean, are you looking to your friends and their opinions, your own opinions? Are you giving yourself that much credit that your own opinions could actually be truth over what God says? Maybe. But if you're not looking to the inspired word of God, which is where we look for truth, then we're just going to be, we're, we're going to be at odds this morning. And we just, have to, we just need to know that up front. Because I look to God's word for truth. But if that's not where you look, just understand this may, this may be a little more difficult for you today. Here's what Paul says. I wrote you in my earlier letter that you shouldn't make yourselves at home among the sexually promiscuous. I didn't mean that you should have nothing at all to do with outsiders of that sort or with crooks, whether blue collar or white collar, or with spiritual phonies for that matter. You'd have to leave the world entirely to do that. But I'm saying that you shouldn't act as if everything is just fine when a friend who claims to be a Christian is promiscuous or crooked, is flipped with God or rude to friends, gets drunk or becomes greedy and predatory. You can't just go along with this, treating it as acceptable behavior. I'm not responsible for what outsiders do. Can we just pause there for a second? I've known too many Christians that are trying to dictate how other people outside the church should be living. Paul's saying, no, that's not our job. But if you want to follow Jesus, like if this is what you want to do, if it's more about Jesus and Christ than it is the culture, then this is what Paul says. But don't we have some responsibility? For those within our community of believers? Yeah. 
But once again, if you have no desire to follow Jesus today, then this may be a little bit more difficult for you. But if you want, like maybe you haven't been following Jesus up to this point, if you want the redeeming love and forgiveness and the messy grace that only Jesus can offer, it's never too late. That's what I want. Let me remind us of our one thing today. Choosing to follow Jesus means giving up our personal opinions so that we can submit to a higher authority. There are several passages that I could point to this morning that talk about the subject of homosexuality, but the one that most scholars and Bible teachers would agree that is the clearest is in Romans chapter 1. And so if you want to read with us today, you can turn an app on, however you read your Bible, open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 18, and I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul has to say in his letter to Rome. Uh, Again, Romans 1 beginning in verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful. Everybody say all. All sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his his eternal power and divine nature. So they really have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks and begin to think and they begin to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded, don't miss this, they traded the truth about God for a lie. That's for all of us. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to have their shameful desires. Even women turn against natural way to have sex and instead indulge in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. In this passage... Paul clearly communicates that the sexuality part of a same-sex relationship, the sexuality, I want to be clear about that, is both sin and it's unnatural. But what Paul doesn't say is that same-sex attraction is. I often get this question right here. It's our next question. Well, is that, like, is being gay a sin then? Like, what, where do we define the sin aspect of this. Well, it depends on how you define what being gay is. If by being gay you say that just means you're attracted to the same sex, I would say no. That's the temptation. There's not, not the sin. So being gay is not a sin. It's living out the sexuality part of the homosexual relationship that Paul clearly defines as the sin. Now let me give you a personal opinion that is not shared with all my Christian counterparts. I believe many people who experience same-sex attraction do so because they were born that way. I believe that. Again, not all my Christian counterparts will share that belief with me. I really do believe that. Again, I've spent a lot of time talking with people who identify in the LGBTQ community. But the mistake that they often make is to say, well, if that's true, that means God created me 
that way. And if God created me that way, then it should be okay. Let me talk about this for a second. Because I believe that to be both theologically wrong and scientifically naive. But I also don't think it's wrong to identify as a gay person for the rest of your life. I really don't. I don't think it's wrong that if you have same-sex attraction and if that's a part of who you are and that's a part of your story, I don't think there's anything wrong with identifying that way. But let me tell you something that happened. I think this is extremely important. You see, what happened because the church screwed things up for so long in history about making people who identify as LGBTQ, they, they were alienated, they were judged and condemned, and they really didn't feel like they had a place to go. And so what happens is the LGBTQ community came together in a place where they could feel loved and accepted for the first time in their life. And because of that, this sexual identity of having same-sex attraction, being, being defined as a gay man or a lesbian, that rose to the top of their list on how they identified, where their identity was. And let me beg you today, if, you, if this is your story and you, you would say that you have same-sex attraction, you would communicate you're a lesbian or a gay man, I, whatever that looks like, that is not your highest level of identity. If you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Gospel of John says you get to become a child of God, and now Jesus is your highest form of identity. You can define yourself another way. I mean, I would say, like, I'm an athlete, right? I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm an awesome ping pong player. I had to throw that in there a little bit. But those are not my highest forms of identity. Jesus is. I just want you to remember that. For some, like Satan has kind of stolen that story to make my friends who identify this way to think that that's their highest level of identity, but we cause that. Can we just own it? We cause that. So just something I wanted to say. Let me pick up in verse 28. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that they should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Now, let's just pause here, because what we do oftentimes when we look at Romans 1 is like, yeah, that's where God really condemns homosexuality. No, he doesn't. He condemns all sin. He doesn't dif differentiate. He doesn't discriminate that one sin is worse than the other. He, it's, it's a blanket statement. So let's be really clear here, and I'm going to be transparent. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. I've had my fair share of wickedness in my life. Sin, yes. Greed, yes. Hate, yes. Envy, yes. Murder, I've thought about it. Quarreling, yes. Deception, yes. Malicious behavior, yes. And gossip, yes. No different. No different. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. That last line is just kind of funny and out of place to me. It's like, Paul, why did you say that? It's like, did one of your kids, was he being disobedient at the time? And it's like, yeah, I'm ticked off right now. I didn't obey. I don't know. Paul didn't have any kids at this point in time. So that's not why he did that. It just seems out of place. Let me read something to you. And while I'm picking up this book, if there's a book that I would encourage you to read on this subject, I would rec and I've read many. I would recommend this right here. It's going to come up. It's by Preston Sprinkle. It's called People to be Loved Why Homosexuality is Not Just an Issue. And he says something in this book I want to read to you today, and it's in the context of Romans chapter 1 because this is kind of the go-to passage. But he's clear on this. I really want to share this with you. He says this, but let's remember the context of Romans 1. Paul doesn't write this chapter to condemn gay people. He writes it to condemn all people. Reading Romans 1 without reading Romans 2 through 3 or the rest of the letter is like walking out of a theater five minutes after the movie started. 
Any discussion, debate, sermon, or lecture on the homosexuality that doesn't showcase the scandalous grace that beams from the rest of Romans is itself a scandalous disregard of the gospel. Until we find our own self-worth in Jesus, cling to his righteousness and not our own, pry every log from our eyes right down to the last splinter, assault every species of judgmentalism and hypocrisy lurking in the corners of our Pharisaic hearts, trumpet the majesty of the cross and the triumph of the vacant tomb above all of our good deeds, which are byproducts of God's grace, Though salted with our own sin and pummel the insidious notion that we straight people are closer to God than those gay people over there, until we do these things, we will never view homosexuality the way that God does. I, could, I wasn't going to drop my mic. That's a book drop, not a mic drop. I don't think he could have said it any better. I said uh, a few moments ago that I've been meeting with a friend of mine for the last year who identifies as a gay man. You're getting ready to hear his story. Understand this was not easy for him because there's always the fear that by exposing what's really happening behind the scenes in his life, that he'll be alienated from people in our church from this point forward. So I want to make a really clear statement. If my friend or anyone else who ever shares their story, maybe in this particular subject as being same-sex attracted or gay or lesbian or whatever, if they ever feel alienated because they expose the truth of their life in this church, if they feel alienated by somebody else, I don't want you in our church. That's the first time I've ever said this. I don't want you in our church. Jesus loves you still, but I don't want you in our church. And so with that being said, here's my friend, my brave friend, Perry. My name is Perry, and my story is messy. So a little bit about my story. Uh, so at a young age, I always felt like I was a little different than a lot of boys and kids. I was sensitive and tender-hearted. I wasn't your typical rough and tumbler child. Um, I always thought this was weakness compared to the tough exterior of my dad. Um, <clears throat> but I grew up in a volatile home. My dad was in World War II, served as a medic in the South Pacific, and he served his country well but he came back with shell shock. So he, um, it was always hard to tell what would set dad off. Uh, he was, uh, potentially could blow up at any moment. So my dad always vocalized his opinion about others. He, he would talk freely about what he thought. A lot of times he spoke about races, different races, but the worst um, people out there for my dad were the queers. Uh, so that was the term used back in when I was growing up to talk about LGBTQI people. And so that formed a lot of um, a lot of thoughts inside because little did he know um, one of his sons that was in his house was had that issue and struggled. But I remembered the voice of my dad saying that he could never love a queer. And I really thought that God could not do that either. That there, there were some people that were too far gone that God didn't want to have anything to do with. I was introduced to sex at a very young age, uh, between the age of nine and 12. Um, I don't recall the exact age, but uh, someone in authority violated the trust. And that just opened up, a, uh, made me grow up as a young, 
very fast as a child carrying that weight. I always thought it was my fault and that I wasn't going to tell anybody about that. It was too painful. I was going to hell. I was, uh, it was all my fault. Um, so I never talked to anyone about that. Grew up in a Christian home though with my mom and I went to a Christian school for high school. Um, but during the 80s was a very tumultuous time for anyone that struggled with same-sex attraction. Um, when the AIDS ep epidemic came out, you know, you hear from the pulpit and the parishioners, this is God's judgment. Uh, these people are an abomination towards God, and this is their punishment for their behavior. So it bred a lifestyle where I started to hide and pretend I wasn't going to let anybody know, and I really was praying that God would take all of that away from me, the desires and the thoughts and attractions. But I figured that church is not a safe place. It's not a place to be real. Um, it's a place to put on your, your mask and come. But the real heavy stuff, you keep it to yourself. But after the 80s, the church became a place to be, show my pretend self in a lot of ways. Um, I never felt like I was fully authentic, that I was a part of a church, that I could be a part of someone with genuine faith. And so I decided to hide a lot. And keeping secrets is so much easier than telling the truth. When you start with the premise that you're disgusting and there's shame, and you start to real learn what the real God is saying, the real Father. And you see the actions of Jesus, it changes your life. So a couple of the truths or the new scripts that I've started to re to listen to in my life is what God really says about me. So in reading the Bible and doing research, uh, the best and godly way is for me to be abstinent and not to pursue those desires, not to act out on those desires. Uh, the sin is not necessarily in the struggle, it's in the sexual activity outside of marriage. <clears throat> so a couple of other truths that I've, I've learned um, throughout this past year is really that God is my father. Um, I'm his beloved son. It's hard to imagine with all those years. Take our biggest shame and he still loves us. It's pretty amazing. Give it up for Perry. <clears throat> so a common question that I often get is, well, you know, if, if the scriptures are so clear on this, then why didn't Jesus ever say anything about it? And this is often a position used from the affirming side of this conversation, as to discredit. And I would say this is a really weak argument for a couple reasons. To say that Jesus never said anything about the subject of homosexuality just because we don't have anything recorded in the Gospels doesn't mean he never said anything about it. In John's Gospel in chapter 20, it says that if we were to have recorded everything that Jesus ever did and said, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain all that information. But the second thing that I would tell you is that Jesus actually did talk about this just in a different way. You see, Jesus gave a framework to what sex was supposed to look like. 
sexuality was supposed to look like, and he did so in a very clear way. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says this, Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. This is the marriage relationship. And the two are united into one. This is the actual sexual act. The fact that two become one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now let's broaden this conversation because this is all of sexuality. God clearly made a framework of what sex was supposed to look like. And it was supposed to be within a marriage, holy matrimony, underneath the blessing of God, in a marriage between a man and a woman. Anything outside of that was not his plan. It was not his purpose. And I get it, guys. I get the tension here, and I get that it's tough. But this also goes for people looking at pornography and lusting after other women and sleeping with women or men who are not your husband or wife or premarital sex or to our students who have this struggle of feeling like, man, this is just kind of what you do these days. You have sex when you're in high school. All of that is sexual sin. None of it should be, again, differentiated. There's no discrimination that one's worse than the other. It's all sexual sin. And Jesus said, hey, let me be really clear here. This is the framework of sexuality. And it was always intended to be between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. And here's what I'd say. I think I can say this with almost certainty. We've all messed that one up. We've all messed that one up. All of us need the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, don't we? This doesn't make people who struggle with a particular sin somehow any worse off than us. And this is why we're always going to be what we call an accepting church here, because we think Jesus defines sexuality really clearly. And so when you kind of have this conversation within the church world today, you'll end up on these two terms oftentimes. And uh, you can find an affirming church if you're looking for one. They're few and far between, but if you're looking for someone who will you know, perform same-sex marriages and just endorse it and affirm it and say, it's all, it's all good, it's okay, you know, do your own thing. You will find some of those churches. This church will not be one of those churches. And so we say we have an accepting culture here, not an affirming culture, meaning we will accept anybody to come in here and pursue Jesus with us. I don't care how jacked up your life is. I don't care how messy your life is. I don't care how many times you've made a mess of your life. Because Jesus doesn't care either. He just keeps saying, follow me. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. Don't stop looking behind you. Follow me. Keep your eyes on me. I'm taking you somewhere different. I'm taking you to a healthier place. And we have to understand that even as Jesus defined what sexuality was for us, it wasn't because he didn't want something for us. It's because he did want something for us. He wanted to give us the most beautiful definition and the best way to live this out possible. He's doing something for us, not taking something away from us. But oftentimes, that's the way that we look at, look at it. Let me say this statement right here. It's a strong statement. Same-sex behavior, unlike same-sex attraction, is a choice. Same-sex behavior, unlike same-sex attraction, because I really don't believe same-sex attraction oftentimes is a choice. So same-sex behavior, unlike same-sex attraction, is a choice. If you choose to live out same-sex sexual behavior, you are not choosing the path of Jesus. He makes it clear. And if you're in here today and you identify as LGBTQ, you may think, but Aaron, we can't choose who we love. I agree. I'm not telling you who you should love or not love. Scriptures teach us to love everyone. 
What I would caution you to do is to be careful that love doesn't become infatuation that leads you to a sexual sin. But I'm not telling you not to love. Either is God. Let me remind you that choosing to follow Jesus will mean giving up personal opinions so that you can submit to a higher authority. And now I want to make a statement, a really clear and direct statement for all of us. Allowing yourself the freedom to do whatever you want as a follower of Jesus just because you feel something is incredibly irresponsible. Can I say it again? Allowing yourself the freedom to do whatever you want as a follower of Jesus just because you feel something. That's incredibly irresponsible. Some of you this morning need to lean more towards the area of truth because you've just been extending grace at the expense of truth. Some of you this morning need to lean more towards the area of grace because you've been holding kind of to this kind of condemning position and you've made homosexuality out to be, the sexual sin part of it, out to be something much worse than the other sins in the Bible. They're all equally sin, and they're all equally forgiven. And we all are supposed to repent and turn away and walk away from whatever sin that we're struggling with in the pursuit of Jesus, because by doing so, we're going to represent his love to a dying world. I've done my best this morning, guys, to represent the fullness of both truth and grace. This is the hardest message I've ever done, because I know there are holes that some of you may be already poking into it. I can't cover everything. You still have questions. What about my gay son? What about my gay daughter? What do I now do with my personal feelings? And so the invitation remains. If you'd like to sit down and talk with me, I will make myself available 100%. Just let me know. But I've done my best here, understanding that I couldn't cover it all. And so my hope is that the Spirit of God spoke to each of us this morning the way that he needed to. Let me pray for you. Thank you. Father, you, you know why this is hard. And I know there's several other things I could have said, maybe said differently. But Lord, more than anything, would you go beyond my words now and allow your wisdom to fall on the people in this room? Would you speak to them? Would you pull them in your direction, whatever their struggle may be? And God, as this culture is trying to redefine so many things for us, I pray that you keep our eyes fixed on Christ because the culture will carry us away if we're not careful. Father, I pray that in all of our circumstances where this is real, our friends who may be gay or lesbian, our family members, our own personal feelings, God, that you would continue to put both truth and grace in front of us. It's not one or the other. It's the fullness of both. We don't always get it. We don't always get it right. That's why we need your help. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.